Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Sex Sales Podcast, the podcast where a comedian talks to a relationship therapist. Today, we are talking all about new relationships. Are you in a new relationship? Well, we're going to tell you what to do, what not to do, and how to navigate the often awkward time. Awkward, but also very romantic and fun time that is a new relationship. So we're going to talk about the, the first couple of weeks, but then also all the way up to the when the honeymoon stage ends or, you know, how to keep the honeymoon stage going for another 10 to 20 years, hopefully. So uh, this was your idea, right, to talk about this one? Yes, yeah. I, um, I thought it would be good because a lot of people I could see struggle firstly after the honeymoon phase but also when they get into a new relationship and they're like what do i do what are the expectations um how do i go about this what should i know so i feel like it's a you know relationships okay i think that sounds good and uh yeah i wish i listened to something like this before some of my uh earlier relationships so i'm sure (laughs) for for a lot of young guys out there it'll be uh be good good information but uh and yeah, that's girls. true. That's true. But it, I don't know. It tends to be the guys that always fuck up in the in the early stages, <laughs> usually. Although I, I hear that might be changing. So like, uh, maybe that's a good thing. I don't know. Equality in uh, bad behavior in relationships. Sure. Let's go for that. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, before we get into that, just a uh, shout out to our sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Earthy Clothing, maybe the most sustainable and ethical clothing brand in the world, I'm earthy.com.au. I am E A R T H I E.com.au. If you're watching on YouTube, you can see this uh, gorgeous uh, dark blue t shirt that I'm wearing. Extremely comfortable, certified organic cotton. Let me tell you a little bit about I'm Earthy. It's all screen printed by hand in the south coast of New South Wales with unique earth inspired designs using eco friendly inks. There's there's, there's no toxic pesticides or fertilize be, fertilizers being introduced into the environment. All the workers are, are protected from poisonous chemicals and are paid a living wage throughout the production line. The vision for the brand is to not simply sell clothes, but to have a positive impact on the environment and the community. And not only that, Earthy donates $1 from every shirt towards two foundations, the Australian Conservation Foundation and Sea Shepherd Australia. And if you use the code SEXCELLS, they will donate $5 from that sale to those two foundations. And you will also get 15% off. So there's no reason not to go to imearthy.com.au, I-M-E-A-R-T-H-I-E.com.au. Use the code SEXCELLS and you will get 15% off a beautiful garment of clothing and you'll also be having a very positive impact on the environment we are also sponsored by crush organics that's crush with a k crushorganics.com they have a huge range of cbd oil and cbd oil products uh they've now got the night oil so if you want uh some help getting to bed if it's past your bedtime and you can't sleep have a few drops of the cbd night oil and you will sleep like a baby i've been using it for over a year now, and my sleep has honestly never been better. They also have pain cream. They have CBD oil for your pets. So go to crushorganics.com, use the code NEIL, and you get 40% off 
40% off at crushorganics.com. We will answer any questions, shout-outs, and topics you have, neilkohatka.com slash podcasts. And come see me and some of Australia's best comedians live, comedyuntamed.com. It's, it's the first half of stand-up comedy, second half of improv. It's a great show all across the East Coast, coming soon to Perth and soon to come to Adelaide and Wollongong and other cities as well. All right, new relationships. So off the top of my head, the things I would suggest to young people in a new relationship is in this day and age, you got to set out the terms. So you got to you got to work out what yes. sort of a relationship is it? Is it monogamous? Is it open? Is it casual? And then don't just say, oh, let's just keep it casual. Okay, what do you mean by casual? What is each party allowed <laughs> yeah. to do? What are the rules? And I know this seems very uh, strict, uh, but I've just been through too many uh, instances where these rules weren't... Uh, specifically and deliberately laid out and as a result someone got hurt and it was really sad very sad at the end of the day it causes a lot of heartbreak Mm -hmm. so i know it's an awkward conversation to have but i don't think this is uh just for people who are older i think this is just for any relationship it's got to be very very um specific and open from the start about exactly what each person wants and if the two people are different um in any way with what they want Either you come to a compromise or you just decide, all right, this isn't going to work. And then in those situations, what often happens is like, well, all right, well, we'll just keep it casual. And someone gets feelings and someone wants something a bit more. And you know what? In all casual relationships, both people have some degree of feelings anyway. The whole some person have feel- has feelings is a silly thing to say because like what? You have no feelings for the person that you're sleeping with i'm sure there are some feelings there they just may not be like uh uh overbearing feelings of love but yeah i i think uh with the casualization of relationships this is a just murky territory more than ever and the first month or two months is often just the most awkward time where one person is often unsure of what the relationship is and everyone's insecure and doesn't want to be hurt so they don't want to be too direct and too intense but then uh what can happen is someone doesn't make a direct their intentions direct and clear and then the other person leaves or thinks that the other person is a a fuck boy or a fuck girl or whatever and you know what by increasingly liberating relationships we've just created this new minefield that's more stressful than ever so that's a little rant to begin the podcast so true so accurate I think it's so important I actually know of a few of my friends that have been in relationships and um I know especially for you you have probably the most textbook example of why you need to have those rules and expectations um already established especially in a non-monogamous relationship but I think that it's also important to understand and know like if you've been tempted to explore a different style of relationship because I have so many people in my life recently that have started dating someone and then two months in, three months in, their partner says like, by the way, I've always really wanted to be poly. Like uh, it's something that I've really thought about. I've always wanted to. And at this point, you know, my mate's in love and she's very monogamous. And then he's like, I want to be poly. And in one situation, um it worked fine she said no and you know she was really secure in their relationship so it was 
totally okay. But in another relationship, my friend had, she couldn't continue the relationship because she was like, I can't be with this guy knowing that he's not, feeling like he's not fulfilling what he wants, like in, as a relationship style. So I think even kind of expressing what you might want to explore in the future, it's hard to even put that into words to someone when you're not sure. But if you have a good, strong inkling, like this is something that I wanted to do, you should communicate that, <laughs> you know, um, it's, it's good to be across it on the same page. It's the same thing with like, when people used to joke about back in the day, it used to be threesomes. Um, now it's way beyond threesomes and it's, you know, polyamorous and open relationships that people want to explore and people can be really upset when they're not on the same page about it. Yeah. And I would also encourage people who might be on the receiving end of that sort of a conversation to not, uh, immediately, uh, react emotionally as well because i've i've uh i had one uh situation where (laughs) you'll laugh at this i went on i think one or two dates with a girl and then she heard one of our podcasts uh about where i was talking in favor of open relationships and then that just put her off the whole thing and i didn't even say to her like hey i'm looking for an open relationship I just said uh, on the podcast, hey, look, maybe open relationships have some merit to them. I mean, I've, I, I per- my personal opinion on that is that not, not to say that like a general opinion on open relationships, but my personal opinion on that has changed. But um, yeah. I was just uh, a bit put off by that because I'd never even, wow. I hadn't even said to her specifically, I want to have an re- open relationship with you. I just sort of said I'd open to the idea of an open relationship on the podcast on a podcast and was sort of defending it but uh she took that as uh <laughs> like many people uh that this is a selfish yeah. person who wants to sleep with as many people as they Aww. can and yeah that was i mean it was very new it was one or two dates in anyway so it doesn't matter but it was uh. just uh i then that was the first time yeah look this podcast cock blocked me so that's so yeah. funny. Yeah, I mean, I can see both sides. Like, I see your frustration. I Personally, if I had experienced that and I was in her shoes and I heard you saying it, I wouldn't be thinking he just wants to fuck everyone. I'd be thinking, I don't know if this will work because I don't know if I'm going to be able to fulfill his, like, relational needs. But then again, that's a conversation. That's not, like, something you can guess. It's something that I would ask for you to communicate to me, like what she should have done. But Yeah, and I didn't, again, I didn't say... I didn't specifically say to her, I want an open relationship with you. I just said, yeah. hey, look, I think there's some merit to open relationships. But anyway, uh, don't want to make mm. it too personal. But um, <laughs> but actually, yeah. to just touch on other personal experience, I guess the totality of personal experiences in early parts of a relationship. Uh, coming back to what I said earlier, everyone has their walls up and is too scared of... Uh, putting off the other person by coming on too strong but that culture mm-hmm. needs to change i think i think it's just so much better for the for the long-term health of the relationship or the lack thereof if you just set your intentions out from the get-go and and so many guys yeah. are so scared of uh commitment and 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 developing feelings because they've been hurt in the past or whatever and as a result they act so casual to the point where the girl then don't see them as a viable um option as a re- re- as a uh, relationship partner and and 
either leave or just sort of detach themselves and then the guy goes crazy thinking about that and or alternatively the guy wants to keep it casual and then finds out the girl has slept with someone else and has a big sook about it and you know to be Mm -hmm. honest i do think it actually comes on the men in that situation like you didn't make your intentions clear you sort of pussyfooted around and and didn't you know you were kind of too scared to be honest and if 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 it means you're going to face rejection by making your intentions clear and saying look i do want something casual and and this is what i mean by cat that's the other thing just the word casual is stupid like what do you actually mean by that uh, when i say casual i don't want an emotional attachment so i don't want emotional responsibility so in that sense uh we shouldn't be obliged to i guess comfort each other to sort of uh, look too much into emotional into the emotional needs of the other person. I just want us to fulfill each other's tr- to try as best as much to to fill it to fulfill each other's f- physical desires. I think that's sort of a bit of a clearer mm-hmm. definition of casual. But uh, if if other people may have different ideas about it, so that's why it's not just if you just say you know, it's a situationship or it's casual. That doesn't mean anything. That's just this kind of yeah. brand that you've put onto it. But the other person could think it means something different so uh definitely at the start make it very clear uh what you're after and and look i know some people can be put off like oh this person's coming on too strong and there's this sort of fun and magic about the cat and mouse and that's particularly for younger people um Mm. you know if you're in a relationship with a 19 year old or something and and you're 19 yourself and you're like hey look these are the terms and conditions that i you know of course that's gonna put someone else off but uh there's a way to say it and a way to communicate Mm -hmm. those things and i just think uh you're better off trying to be as clear and direct as possible and then not and then yeah and then sticking to that yeah i think also it's a branch from that as well like with long-term relationship goals or expectations or future goals because you want to know early on before you invest in someone completely wholeheartedly and emotionally if your future goals of a relationship line up like i have seen time and time and time again and it's so frustrating to me women i know women on the internet women in dating forums everywhere saying I've been dating a guy for a year and a half. I've never asked him if he believes in marriage because I don't want him to feel pressured. But like, I'm 31 and I want to know and blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, just ask him. Like, you don't, you're not proposing to him. You're just asking if that's what he wants. There shouldn't be such a stigma around asking. I'm not even against asking it a few dates in. Like, I've always just casually said like, oh, have you, do you want kids? Like, not asking, do you want kids with me? But, you know, is that what you see in your future? And I remember once... Um, I had asked Adrian early on in our relationship and I said like, I was trying to be more subtle. So I was like, where do you, where do you see yourself in five years? And he was like, I don't know, like doing the same thing. And I was so like not satisfied (laughs) with that question, with that answer. I was like, oh, what the kids, marriage? Like that was what I was trying to suss out really. But when I was upfront about it, I was like, oh, do you ever think that you'd want to be a dad? He's like, absolutely. I'd be ready now. Um, And I was like, do you ever think like you'd want to get married? Or it's like, what you see for yourself? Do you believe in marriage? And he's like, yeah, I'd love to be married. And just the kind of casualness of it wasn't like pressure. Didn't put pressure on anyone. Didn't put expectations. But then why is people so uncomfortable just to ask 
simple question. So I think it's important to know, like, does your future align, like your future goals? Because a lot of people this day and age don't believe in marriage. And that's mm. totally fine. But if you're with someone who has dreamt about a marriage their entire life, that might be a really big issue. You don't want to wait two years down the track before one of you has to make a huge sacrifice. Yeah. We've, uh, the, again, I think that's all just part of the casualization of uh, dating yeah. and relationships. And, you know, as, as liberating it as it has been in the short term, it's really screwed up many long-term um, plans for people because we just don't know if we're yeah. on the same page and things like that. I think another thing you should be looking for early on in a relationship is uh, not just, you know, how fun and, and um, incredible things are because you are in that honeymoon phase. You're going to have a, a rush of oxytocin that's constantly streaming through your body when, especially when you're intimate. And what you also need to be trying to rationally analyze is, okay, how, what is this person actually like say in just when you're sitting down with them when you're when you're when you spend the night together what what are their little behaviors like just things like that are important i mean you don't need to nitpick and be pedantic mm. sure but you know can you get along with this person in a non-romantic context can you have a good conversation with this person uh, yeah. what are their basic behavioral traits and you know mm. does that align with your personality type and how do you resolve conflict? I think that's a big one. If there is a fight or yes. a little argument or whatever it may be, how how do people uh, resolve that? How is it brought about? Is the, is the other person extremely demanding or uh, are they asking for things that are a bit unreasonable? Because if they're doing that, look, basically whatever little things are happening in the in the first three to four months, chances are they're going to be far more significant so. yeah. in the future so yeah. really keep a keen eye out for that um of the, just those yeah, sorts of things that's a really and, good one about conflict yeah make sure you kind of you, you already know what you mm -hmm. so again what if you've got this plan of like okay this is the sort of person that i think at least in my best estimation would be appropriate for me in a long-term partnership then at least you're measuring the behavioral traits of this person against something it's not just well, I think that was a bad thing, but I don't know if it actually was. You, you, you know, okay, I can see that they've done that and I'm not a big fan. Is it a deal breaker? Maybe, maybe not. Up to you. <clears throat> yeah. So, yeah, I think uh, these sorts of, the, just the, the sort of basic gist of what this person is like, I think you get a better gauge of that mm -hmm. three, four, five months in and uh, you tend to, you know, you, you're always seeing the best side of someone in the first couple of months and... You know, usually if, if, if someone's going through a, a period of stress or if uh, there's some conflict occurring, that's, I guess, not, not necessarily when you see the real person. I don't like that phrase, but it's when you, you at least see a different side of that person that you're going to have to inevitably uh, contend with, especially if you're um, perceiving this person to be a long-term relationship option. So... Uh, be on the lookout mm -hmm. for those sorts of things. And uh, how also do you operate as a team? Uh, do you just constantly need each other to the point where you, you, you can't just get on with your day-to-day -day life? You can't work efficiently because you're just thinking about them or you're that one little text they, they did that's sort of put you off or are you being incessantly jealous and things like that? Well, all right, then maybe you need to actually take a step back from your feelings and rationally analyze First of all, why am I acting that way? But second of all, is this person overall uh, healthier for me 
and have they sort of improved my life um, in in aggregate? Now, look, in in small bursts, it may be this just extraordinarily romantic, intense journey that you're going on when you see each other and and make love and and whatever. But then, if the rest of the time when you're apart or when you're not being intimate is is negative and it's not enjoyable then that's something again you have to look at and you have to sort of understand this might be going down the road of a um yeah to- a toxic relationship or whatever you want to call yeah. it or there might be things that i need to work on more than mm-hmm. anything so uh yeah having a having a gauge of those sorts of things if it, i guess to summarize Absolutely. just like understanding some of their behavioral traits a bit better but also and 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 how you operate as a team and then also uh how has your life changed having this person in it for for the for for um in a positive way for the most part or in a negative way for the most part yeah i think that to kind of expand on that a little bit the best piece of advice which i wish that i had taken myself up until even recently from probably just like a couple of years ago before i met adrian was that what you tolerate early on in your relationship sets up the expectation of what you will tolerate for your entire relationship. So it's very easy when you're in love, you're swept up that you put, you put up with so much more because you know, you, you want to impress them. Like I remember, you know, I was talking about in my, not love, maybe two podcasts ago, how I had a partner with really, really severe mental health issues. And it was like every night, hours and hours of having to nurture and support him and go through crisis, like really significant things. And I wish that the first few times when it happened, when we'd been dating for a couple of months, I was very much like looking after him and kind of setting up the expectation that anytime you feel sad, it is my role to fix that for you. Like you don't have to do that yourself. I will be there to fix you and I will sort everything out, which I did. And then you know, two and a half, three years later, I was so burnt out from it that it, it couldn't function as a healthy relationship anymore. And even just in the way, like, you know, how you said as well, how how do you manage conflict is one, the biggest indicator of a successful relationship is how conflict is managed. But early on in relationships, when we're kind of putting someone on a pedestal, looking at them through rose-colored glasses, we might overlook those things and i know like you know one of my previous relationships i well it wasn't a relationship but i was dating a guy and he we had some kind of conflict over something really stupid um actually he sent me he sent me a um a a dick pic and it was a recycled dick pic from his camera roll um that he'd taken like (laughs) before he met me and I didn't mean to like insult him, but I just laughed about it saying, I can see you took this like seven months ago. How do you know it was recycled? It because he screenshotted it and it had the date. <laughs> why, why didn't he just crop <laughs> that like out? Fucking idiot. Oh, wow. I know. Obviously, it wasn't, <laughs> he was thinking with his dick, it's not his head. And I just thought it was a bit funny and I still complimented him like, wow, well, whatever. And I wasn't upset about it, but I heard his ego basically. And he sent me like five texts afterwards being like, don't be such a fucking bitch. And then ignored me for two days. And I couldn't believe that. Um, well, straight afterwards, I said to him, like, you talk to me like that again. I will never speak to you. Like, don't disrespect me like that. This is the most immature response I've ever seen in my whole life. Like, you're a 30-year-old man. 
you don't just block someone for two days because you're embarrassed. And then two weeks later, something happened again. Um, and he got upset and he said something mean. He called me a bitch again. And then he didn't block me, but he just called me a bitch and then ignored me for a few hours. And then he actually came to my house, rang the doorbell, didn't answer it. And I just said, like, I'm not talking to you ever again. Like, I warned you. <laughs> um, I'm not going to put up with that. And if I put up with that again, he would have never, ever stopped that. So I think that that's really, really important that you establish what your boundaries are really early on in a relationship. And in a relationship now, if someone had said that to me straight off the bat, like, you know, that was three years ago. At this age, if someone did that one time, that would be it. <laughs> that would be the one. That's enough of a red flag for me if someone in this day and age calls me a bitch and ignores me for two days over something so silly and little and so early on in a relationship when you're trying to like establish a bond and things like that um but well, anyone who pl- yeah, anyone who do does a silent treatment is just i i don't it's it's, it's manipulative. Just stupid. like at the end of the day <laughs> yeah. i don't understand it and don't you have the confidence to actually just talk to that person um so yeah. Yeah, I agree with you there. And if the other person doesn't make their boundaries clear as well, it can make it then the other person isn't aware when they've overstepped that person's boundaries. And so then they can get upset thinking, well, why are you upset? You didn't make it clear that this was a uh, this was something that you didn't uh, particularly like. So, you know, clarity and and specificity is very important in a a nascent part of a relationship. And so. Another thing I guess I would I would be looking out for is um, what are their what is their social circle like and and how you know how, how do they make decisions how again you don't want to be nitpicking and and being too pedantic about these sorts of things but people are definitely influenced by the company they keep and I think uh, yeah. when you do meet the friends as as always is the case inevitably you're gonna you're gonna get a good gauge of the sort of environment that your partner is in for a lot of for a lot of situations and also the sorts of people that are probably going to be giving them relationship advice and i think yeah. um i don't know if that's necessarily a deal breaker as such but i think it it tells you a lot about a person the 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 friends they have and the company they keep so um yeah also just how much do they socialize and what does their social life look like because you know, there's been times where I've had a boyfriend who's very, very social and he'd want to go out Friday night and Saturday night every single week. And it was with like five other couples. So if I didn't go, he'd be the only person there without their partner. But I was like, I hate going out every weekend with the same people over and over again. Um, and then ironically, that was kind of like the same thing when Adrian met me, he thought, oh my God, I've never met someone that socializes so much. I can't do social events twice a week. I just can't do it. And But I didn't care. I was like, that's cool. You stay at home. <laughs> that's fine. Um, but knowing, are you okay with that? Because how often do we see people that punish their partners being like, you know, you're, you're a 30-year-old man or 25-year-old guy and you just want to go out and party and blah, 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 and then really punishing him for it. But Maybe that's, you know, he's got one day a week where he gets to see his friends and do something he enjoys and that's how he wants to spend his time. There's no point punishing him from it. It's just an incompatibility. So you're either going to work through that or not be together if that's going to be something that is so upsetting to you. And very often, like I was talking about that tolerance at the beginning of a relationship, 
you're like, I don't mind, that's totally fine. And then six months later, you're hating them for it. So mm. don't tolerate things in the beginning of a relationship that you're not going to tolerate a year in yeah, but, or six months in. And, and likewise, if someone is trying to control whether or not you go out once a week with your friends, I feel like that might be a red flag the other yes, way. Like, you, exactly. If, I, if I'm not a, yeah, if I'm not permitted to go out with my, my friends, I wouldn't really appreciate that. Um, yeah. So if you're one of those social people, you should ask like, you know, is, is this something that not, is this something you're cool with, but Hey, this is the way I, this is what my life is like. This is what I like to do, whether or not I'm in a relationship or not. I like to see my friends every week or do poker every Thursday night, like whatever, and see how they respond. Yeah, I think that's good. What about for people who are younger? I'm sure they might be listening to this thinking, well, no one's really thinking too far into the future when you have a relationship at 18, 19, 20. So uh, it would be, I'd imagine for many people that age, very off-putting if, if someone's too direct and, and thinking about the marriage and kids. Maybe in some circles it wouldn't be, but I'm, I'm just, I'm just yeah, guessing and, and, and assuming here. So I think all you're doing in those early relationships is actually just learning because whatever advice uh, we may give, you haven't really fully formed your identity and, and, and become confident with yourself. So however you sort of exhibit that advice will likely come across as a as a young person trying to be someone else or, you know, experimenting with the, maybe the mm. types of behavior that they think are honorable, but might come across in a cringeworthy way. You know, I, I don't think there's a lot of advice you can, well, you can, you can sort of give basic, uh, ten, you know, basic ideas of what's appropriate and ethical in a relationship, in a, in a young person's relationship. But you can't think too deeply about how you act in a in a in a teenage relationship or an early twenties relationship because a lot of that is just going to be a learning curve anyway. I think, yeah, the, obviously the boundaries one is is important and and the uh, the traits that you might be looking for and and just the the general vibe of what the relationship is like for you in your life. I think those sorts of things are important. But if you're, you know, if, if, if you're going to tell a 19 year old, Hey, look, this is what I'm looking for. And this is my plan in the next five years. I, I would guess, maybe not, but I would guess that might be off putting. I don't, I don't know for sure. Yeah, so. yeah, definitely. I guess it depends on the person. Uh, but for teenagers, and young young people they have never been exposed to that kind of relational talk so they would have gone from someone being like be my girlfriend and still not knowing anything about them or it maybe not even having a relationship to all of a sudden someone coming in with these intense you know this is what i want this is what i'm looking for and they that might not be respected by someone that doesn't have relational experience but on the other hand it can still be good like um there's a show first dates australia i don't know if you watched it and some of it yeah um there was a girl on there and she was she was really young i don't know much about her except that she wore like all pink head to toe and she was like 20 and um she went on a date with another guy who was also very young like 20 and she said straight out of the, off the bat first date um that she really really wants you know, to be married young and have kids really young and be a hot stay at home mom, blah, blah, blah. 
And <laughs> afterwards, they got along pretty well. It was really funny. And he was like, you know, should we go on a second date? Or one of them was saying, should we go on a second date? But she was like, well, no offense, but there's not much point because I want someone that wants kids and marriage really young and you don't. So I wouldn't waste my time. And that was just someone that because I think it was so important to her and most 21-year-olds don't actually feel like that and don't want to, don't need to have that conversation because it's not in their, you know, in their forefront for the next five plus years. So they don't need to establish whether or not that's, important or they feel that they don't need to but for some that it's really really essential they might need to have that conversation yeah yeah that's uh i'd imagine most 20 year old guys would be put off by that as well um having said that there's now you know there's so much cultural tribalism and i'm sure there's a lot of teenage boys that have been brought up on i guess what the the neoconservative uh values and like the idea of being a a traditional man and having a trad wife if you will so i wonder if there'll be a boost in uh younger younger couples having having children but just a small portion of the of of uh of the population yes what were you gonna say i think that there is already because my tiktok feed being pregnant has just basically changed now to all pregnant women. And so many of them, I don't know why they keep getting sent to my For You page, but so many in Australia as well, are young 20-year-old girls that have just had babies or are about to have a baby with a 22-year-old husband. Like, like so many, hundreds. And I was like thinking, God, this is so uncommon. When I was 20, 21 or 20, which was only like seven, eight years ago, I didn't know anyone with a baby. Like not one single person out of everyone I knew had a baby. It was always like a friend of a friend of a friend. Oh my God, she was 20 and got pregnant. But really interesting to see. Like I do think it is quite common and none of these girls work as well. None of them. Um, And that's what (laughs) they've wanted. Is that just because we've grown up in, you know, maybe middle, upper middle class, uh, societies i mean like i went to a public school and i still i knew one guy who had a baby at 20 and i don't think it was planned and other than that i don't you know in comedy in my industry i don't think a single person in their 20s has a has a baby i don't i'm trying to think uh, off the top of my head but i mean that's obviously (laughs) that's the arts and you also get a higher degree of you know there's there's far fewer religious people there's also uh a lot of people who just mentally unhinged and are less likely to have kids in the arts. So I guess I'm I'm in a subset of the population that is just not gonna be the norm. But um And LGBTI yep, um a lot of that, yeah. More likely to be in arts and they don't start families typically till later on. I totally think that that's you know, it's definitely um a cultural influence because I remember when I started uni and I was so embarrassed of my ATAR because um, I was flunking school. I thought I did terribly. Um, I'll just say it. It was like 80 or something. And I was I was praying when I got there that no one would ask me about my ATAR because in my high school, it was so shockingly low compared to everyone else. And I didn't even think I would do the HSC, all this blah, blah, blah. And I remember one of my friends I met, one of the first friends I met, um, there was two of them and they were both from country towns. They asked what 
my ATAR was and I was like panicking and I was like oh it's like 81 and they were like whoa you're so smart and I was like oh, what the fuck is this that was wild it blew my mind and then they told me afterwards that they were one of the few girls that won got above 70 in their school and that they all had each of them had at least five friends at 18 years old that had um kids and husbands already and they one was from um camden and one was from annan grove or something like so out west somewhere um but really interesting to me how different that was there's a big class there is a class distinction and it's not as obvious as many people think because the media even the new digital media ecosystem such as that which we're a part of is predominantly from uh middle and upper class communities uh in terms of economic status and and also just the the type of work that the parents may have done so you know white collar versus blue collar so uh yeah Mm -hmm. i'm sure in um in probably most of the country people are still having kids very you know our experience of most people in their 20s not having kids i think well you're you're like one of the few people i know who is about to have a a kid i don't you know there's not many that i know and so that is not a normal experience i think in most social circles Mm. people would have at least you know a couple of friends by by late 20s it'd be a couple of friends that are married and and with children um yeah and in rural communities, it would be most people our age would be, you know, settling down and doing that, um, living that kind of lifestyle, which is interesting. But yeah, I just, it, it was really surprising to me. It blew my mind. And then I felt so embarrassed afterwards because I had said this whole spiel to like a bunch of people about why my ATAR was so low and don't judge me for it. I had a really bad year. I was barely at school. And then they were like, oh, mine was 60. <laughs> and I just felt like such a pretentious dickhead. Um, so, but, you know, they ended up doing extremely well in uni. Um, one of the girls who had a very low ATAR was getting high distinctions. Um, she was like basically on a roll equivalent of, in our uni. Um, just very interesting and she was the only friend of hers that had gone to uni everyone else wanted to stay at home and start a family um and she actually has a very her and her friends are like wealthy camden area kind of thing so um it was interesting yeah very interesting to me yeah very different yeah so look to be fair we can't we can't talk on behalf of it look we i I, I assume even the people we've dated are probably part of a certain socioeconomic class having said that um, well i don't know i feel like i've been pretty diverse with that but (laughs) (laughs) uh, my current girlfriend i guess very simple like she she grew up in a a place basically the neighboring suburb to where i grew up and just just a very similar kind of upbringing also went to a selective school so wow yeah we're just and now she's at uni yeah we're like the same person just different gender so uh it's yeah, that I think is why the relationship is, is good. Well, so far. I mean, yeah. the other relationships I've had were very uh, so so up, much more up and down and, and volatile. And, but yeah. there'd been just extraordinarily strong feelings at times. But then it would be very negative at times. I wouldn't say it was completely, you know, again, toxic, but... Uh, there's just a lot more up and down and a lot of those cliches like when you love someone, you equally hate them and 
I was like, yeah, that's true. And now I'm like, no, that's not a thing. Not that's that's bad. All, yeah. if, if that's if that's yeah. how you're feeling, that's terrible. But um, yeah. but yeah, I guess to come back to early early relationships. Um, I don't know what else. What else is if someone's just started well, a relationship and they and they want some advice? And uh, okay, let's how about we we talk about after the honeymoon period? Um, let's say. Usually yeah. they say what seven months or something that you get the seven month itch or, uh, and then I've heard definitely That's after seven years. Yeah, so there's the milestone <laughs> seems to be itch, yeah. seven months, With two sevens, years. Yeah. I've heard is where a yeah. lot of the uh, just initial oxytocin wears off, and I've also heard that there are some studies to suggest that well the the evolutionary psychology theory is that uh if a woman hasn't become pregnant with a partner after two years her body and and sort of her subconscious assumes that he may be infertile and as a result it sort of lowers the uh attraction factor unconsciously uh, that's well, the theory but i beat that one yeah well there you go there you go um and then, uh, that's interesting and yeah and then they say seven years is a big uh divorce risk that is, Sorry. that's right. Seven years is a massive, massive time for divorce. The first milestone is actually three months because I don't know if this stat is actually still relevant because I haven't checked up on it in at least a year, but it used to be that 70% of relationships don't make it to the three month mark. So if you're likely, if you get to the three month mark, you're more than likely to have a relationship with that person that lasts longer than a year. Um, so that's, mm. that's interesting. But I saw on, um, on Reddit this morning, actually, someone put like on an Ask Reddit, it was like 40-year-olds of Reddit, what advice would you have for 20-year-olds? And it wasn't just about um, relationships, it was just a general question. But the top answers were literally saying, if you're in a relationship or you're starting a relationship, don't marry someone until you know their physical intimacy expectations and be on the same page about that. Um, so a lot of those, and then kind of all the comments were mainly from men, um, saying that they had put up with it because they really loved their partner. And then five years later, you know, they're not having any sex. They regret it. They wish they never married her, blah, blah, blah. Um, so they were all saying, know what that expectation is. And then don't think about it in that moment, but think about it. Can I be okay with that one year from now, two years from now? Like literally down to the frequency. Is, uh, is once a week normal to you, once a year? Like what's your... That's a tough question. To, I mean, that's one where I, I don't know. The, in the, within three months, do you ask someone, what's your, you know, what do you think is the obligation of how many times we should be having sex a week? That probably would be a very off-putting <laughs> question. However, I understand from their perspective uh, how frustrating that would be. I also... Uh, tend to think well what have they looked at themselves and thought well have i made my wife less attracted to me by my behavior the way i look things like that i think this is a that's a much deeper question however yes Mm. if the partners are on the same page that all right to a certain degree we are responsible for the other person's sexual needs i think that's a i think rather than explicitly saying it should be two times a week or, or anything like that. I think yeah, if, if, if the both partners sort of accept that um, th- there's a certain degree of uh, responsibility, assuming there aren't any other external factors such as, you know, 
little children, pregnancy, sickness, whatever it may be, assuming there aren't any factors like that, then there is a certain obligation that you have when you're in a relationship to sexually satisfy the other person, but it has to come with a lot of caveats there, um, such as it has to be reasonable, there has to be some level of compromise, there has to still be mm-hmm. uh, you know, an assurance that both people's needs are being mutually met and that's not often the case, but... Yeah, that's one to take into account. That's an interesting one that, that exactly. a 40-year-old would tell that to a 20-year-old. Make sure you... It's not so... <laughs> Ask her how mind, much sex it? she's going to give you. <laughs> I know. It is interesting because when you read it, like you can see the hurt and the frustration and the people that are writing it and you do wonder like, well, there's two sides to every story. What is it? And I don't think that you should ask. If someone said how many times a week straight off the bat, do you actually I probably wouldn't care if someone asked me that but I could see that other people might find that really uncomfortable or like a bit um almost offensive and also it's like I said it's not so black and white you can't just go back two years later when there are other factors and say on this date in 2022 you said I want sex four times a week and you're not fulfilling that obligation Mm. um but you know like you said I think one there needs to be an understanding that there is you know a mutual effort to maintain physical intimacy, but also at least at the minimum, having an understanding of how important intimacy is or physical intimacy is to your partner and seeing if that aligns to you. Because for some people, intimacy is not important and they don't desire that much physical intimacy. And although like, you know, they may participate in it when they feel that their relationship is secure, it can drop down because they're like, well, now this person's in love with me. We've got a house or we live together or we've got a dog, blah, blah, blah. Um, I don't really need to do this to maintain the relationship anymore or maintain his interest in me. It can That sometimes can taper off with physical intimacy. Even, so at least... I yeah. would say, but even yeah. then, if... if well, we, what, usually it might be the woman doing that. And if, if she's thinking like, oh, I need to be having sex with him to maintain his interest. No, it's supposed to be a mutual... Uh, of thing. it's supposed so to be, that, but <laughs> so it, no. If anything, I'm not critical of her. I'm just yeah. more critical of like the if she was never enjoying sex with him in the first place and was only ever doing it to maintain his interest. Well, I think that's maybe something he needs to look at himself. Uh, or it can be a mentality thing. It it can be that you know the woman might have been brought up in a much more conservative household, or, or you know there could be a myriad of factors there. Well, yeah. Yeah, true. When I was studying um, relationship counselling, a lot of couples that came into the clinic had this exact issue and we would sit behind like the black screen and look at the relationship counsellor do their work basically with the couple. And very often, well, not very often, but on the occasions where this was an issue, um, sometimes the partner, sometimes on occasion it was the man, sometimes the women would say, um, you know, re- sex has never been important to me. Like I'd be satisfied with sex um, a few times a year, maybe like max once every couple of months. That's how it's always been to me. But in the start, I just did it because we were excited. I thought it's what he wanted, that kind of thing. And then the other partner would be like, well, I kind of feel ripped off that I never knew this about you. Um, so I do think it's, it wasn't necessarily that he was doing something to turn her off or anything like that. It was that she wasn't really upfront from the get go about 
what she wants sexually and then yeah i'd always be like that's fair read the book yeah (laughs) come as you are do that um but yeah and and that will be an indicator of maybe post honeymoon period what the relationship might be like if you ask that person okay what do you how do you see intimacy in a relationship and if they say i think there is that loose obligation for someone to provide a reasonable degree of sexual satisfaction to the other part or to try and uh you know fulfill those sexual desires of the partner then i think that's a good form of compatibility if you're both on the same page there and then because in the honeymoon period it's easy to have sex it's easy to be intimate you get spontaneous desire when you are still establishing that attachment whereas when you're past the honeymoon food yeah it becomes uh it can be an effort but uh the couples that from what i've heard the couples that make that effort will maintain um a a longer uh period of sexual desire and you know they'll even go through periods where it might wane a little bit but they're still at least making that effort however often it is once a week once a fortnight and at uh over the long term that would probably serve the relationship well and i know that can be confronting for some people because you know you maybe have never been in a situation where like sex has felt like an obligation um but uh it it might at some point in a relationship feel that way and and it's not always an obligation for the woman it can be for the man as well and uh it's better to just if you love that person and you're sort of on the same page about how important intimacy is then you should try and fulfill that obligation and you know it's can further i know it's complicated then again sort of further exacerbate the the if if you associate sex with obligation that's terrible also for you in the long term but uh there are ways around that again all the books we've recommended are great esther perel is good yeah. and from my personal experience i've been through one relationship where uh my girlfriend was losing sexual desire and that was the one relationship where i was very uh you know, I was I was I wasn't that young. I was in my early twenties. I was twenty three, and I was very confused about you know that this was only five years ago, and there was still so many conflicting ideas of how a man should behave. Should he be more masculine? Should he be more emotional? And sort of, and then just saying, "Oh, just be yourself." To me, that doesn't. I don't. I don't. I didn't know what myself was. You know, when you're as cliche as that sounds, when you're that age, you often don't. So. I wanted some guidance there and I, I went more, I guess, the progressive route and I was very open and vulnerable with my uh, feelings and whenever I felt like crying, I would. And But then also if I ever felt jealous and negative emotions, I would express it and, and, and try to express it in a healthy way. It didn't always come out that way. And uh, that was the one. And I would always try to be very, you know, uh, nice with my texting and my messaging and, and just try Aww. to be like that you know, stereotypical, uh, what I would have thought would be like the the modern ideal boyfriend. But that was the one relationship where she told me she basically was very upfront and direct. And, and you know what, in the long term, I'm very thankful for this. Like, hey, you're too much that on, on that end of the spectrum and it's completely turning me off you sexually. And it became an obligation for her to um, to have sex. And that just hurt me even more because... I, uh, you know, there was a period where we were casual and I know she was sort of 
intimate with other people then and knowing that like i had sort of i felt like i had done more and 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 been shown more of an emotional investment and i know yes of course you're not owed anything and things like that but you know when you hear that you could be uh turned on by someone who doesn't love you and and it's just a fun thing but yeah. then the guy who does love you doesn't turn you and you say you love as well and then, then you're not turned on it's very hurtful and again, I probably didn't yeah. express that in the healthiest way as well. But then I, I made a bit of an effort to, to sort of, what do they say? You, you know, embody the shadow self or whatever, you know, become, have more uh, an outlet of some of those, what I would have perceived as uh, uncouth or brutish uh, elements of a personality. And, and again, it's just personal experience. I've never had that problem since then. Yeah, Not- I mean, I guess, it kind of comes down to, in my opinion, that we all need to be aware of our own desire and what might be influencing it because I don't think that that situation is a B1 fit all. Like for me, it's the opposite. The more emotionally intimate I am with someone, the more physically attracted I am to them. So the closer I get to someone, the more like attached they are to me, the more physical attraction I have to them. Whereas it can be the complete opposite for a lot of people. And it's often what happens is what we're attracted to someone in the beginning. We see them being really like casual, carefree, outgoing and social. And then two years later, they're a completely different person. And we're like, why am I attracted to this person anymore? It's because what attracted you to them in the first place is no longer, um, them i guess i remember when i read i talked about um how i read this thing about a woman that was really upset about her husband being in an open relationship and it was never that she got jealous about him being with other women physically it was that she was jealous that the other woman got to see him at the beginning of the relationship where he was just charming and casual and they didn't have all that baggage of you know a 20-year marriage behind them um and she was like that's the side that i fell in love with that's the man i fell in love with when he was like that but a lot of people don't even get to the point of you know exploring their decrease in sexual desire which is very normal and occurs in basically most majority of relationships and they interpret it as meaning something whereas it can actually just be a natural part of a relationship like how we talked about previously when you no longer need to build an attachment with someone your body doesn't surge for you to have sex with them anymore so desire doesn't come on spontaneously it may need to be planned or scheduled and what's really interesting is being pregnant i'm on this like there's this app it's called peanut and it's like pregnancy tinder for pregnancy and um you get like (laughs) it's like you can swipe on women meet up with them that are pregnant as well but I use it for like, there's a forum aspect. So like if I'm doing August, I'm in with like 2000 women in this forum and it's like August Australia babies or whatever. And I joined some of the groups of like April babies, May babies. So people that have already had their babies a few months ago, just so I could read about their birth experiences, blah, blah, blah. And what's really interesting that I've seen is how many women have said, oh my God, it's been, you know, our baby's three months old or my baby's six months old and my intimacy with my partner has never been better in my entire life. Like we've been together for 10 years, it's never been stronger. 
blah, blah, blah. And what I believe it is, is that because they actually have had to schedule in intimacy because they're like, okay, this baby's at daycare on this day, or this is his sleep schedule. This is when we can be intimate at 4 p.m. on Thursday. And actually just finding the time to do it where they both planned it has increased the severity of intimacy, how often it occurs. And it's just kind of like kickstarted things. Whereas before the baby, or they were waiting for a desire to come spontaneously when it just wasn't because they've been together for so long. And for some couples, a very rare amount of couples, they can still come spontaneously 20 years later. But that's extremely rare. <laughs> but it's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. What other, uh, maybe, let's say, post-honeymoon period that that's just not purely sexual desire, uh, yeah. what's other things could people be looking out for in that period because i suppose i'm in that now it's been a year and four months i think when mm. we've been formally dating so it doesn't feel like it's waned or if anything it's it's slowly increased over time um but yeah. uh if if you know people are in that at that two year mark uh, or even at that seven year mark what is it what is it yeah what do you think it is about that well, now we're not we're no longer talking about new relationships. I mean, some people might yeah, still call right. <laughs> a six-year marriage a new marriage, uh, but these days I don't know. But what is it about that seven-year mark? What is it? Is it the realization that uh, oh, either I'm going to be with this person for the rest of my life, or I have to make a change now? Because I'd I, I, well, let's say what the average age of marriage might be late twenties and and or thirty or something, and then you think all right by the time. I'm in my late thirties. I have to either I could like get out and, and find someone else that I could spend the rest of my life with, or that will probably be it then. Is that it? Or what, it, what is it about that seven year? No, no, I don't think it's that. I think that it's, there's something in our life that we crave often by seven years, we've met a lot of milestones. We might've met the milestone of marriage. You might've met the milestone of having a house together, living together, maybe getting a dog or having a baby or something like that. And then you kind of like, what next? You don't have that next milestone to work towards and be excited. So really you're just like, oh, this is it now. And I actually watched a really interesting video um, and it speaks about this in that book. Um, we spoke about a few podcasts ago, Come As You Are, um, about how igniting relation on sexual satisfaction but also relational can be by doing something exciting so then a lot of couples everyone seems to know that and you know go on dates blah 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 and a lot of couples go on these dates and they go to the movies and things like that but it's it's like you're just still with your friend it's still not igniting that closeness and intimacy even just emotional intimacy and this video i was watching of the psychologist said there is a difference and that the the kind of things that you need to integrate into your relationship further along doesn't shouldn't just be dates and movies and things like that. It needs to be things that excite you, um, things that you can like look forward to. Like some couples do a date um, one day a week or one day a month and they go through each letter of the alphabet. So like Z might be going to the zoo or A might be going out for Asian food, you know, those kind of things. Um, or having themed movie nights like... Um, really? It's a Mexican that movie night where you watch something. <laughs> yeah, and it's something that can, or like horror or things like that, something that can ignite a little bit of excitement. And when you ignite excitement, you have the oxytocin. And when you have oxytocin, you bond with whoever's near you and it can kind of bring you closer. 
But there's also, you know, a million other factors in that when you've been together with someone for seven years, you're not trying as hard to put your best front forward. You're much more comfortable to show your irritation. You're much more comfortable to show your content, your dissatisfaction and express that. And you might perceive that as being really healthy, um, but sometimes it can be too much where you express every single thing that dissatisfies you in your relationship. Like you left the bowl here, you did this, you did that. And then everything piles up and you're both under a lot of tension. One person might be getting like nagged at or feel criticized all the time. And the other one person might feel like they're never being listened to or no one's making an effort to acknowledge what they're saying and showing that. So there's a lot of kind of caveats to it, but it's very common at that time yeah for relationships to disintegrate a bit seven years yeah yeah interesting yeah okay mm. well any any final things for for people in a in a new relationship to to look out for yeah um i guess a couple of quick fire things is know your baggage um know what baggage you have know what triggers you have because once you're out of that like very initial excitement phase they often come back so if you're like an extremely jealous person that gets triggered when your girlfriend goes out or something you might deal with that for three months because you're so like swept up with her and then three months pass and then all of a sudden it's an issue for you again and you're jealous again and you have to own your own baggage continue to work on that and realize if this is a continuing thing in all your relationships it's probably a you problem not a them problem Unless you're attracting a certain type of person, <laughs> in which you got a whole other podcast to listen to. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. 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 Couldn't agree more. What about you? I think that's uh. Yeah. You're, you're just not yourself, uh, in that, in that initial honeymoon period, and since so many. <laughs> well, you're the best version of yourself. Yeah, that's yeah. But then you depend yeah. on it. It is in many ways like a drug because you're relying on the sort of consequences of a certain chemical that's uh. Mm. Uh, just occurring far more than usual and that will eventually dissipate and you'll revert back mm. to whatever habits and, and norms you were undertaking prior and that can be a big, a, a, you know, stark difference for many people and it can really come at a cost, so. Yeah, exactly, which I guess the best piece of advice is, and I say this in all my relationships and I say it to Adrian all the time as well, like we've only been together for two years and I'm like, you're not going to feel this, you know, excited about me or this lust or whatever for me forever, like eventually and probably sooner rather than later considering, you know, we're at that stage where we're getting out of the honeymoon phase, it's going to be an effort and you have to be making sure that every day you're actually finding time to put in that effort rather than waiting for those hormones that oxytocin or desire to hit you spontaneously needs to be an effort. Yeah. Yeah. Just get in the habit of doing things yeah. for your partner, maybe even in the honeymoon period, because that's when you're probably more yes. most encouraged yeah. to, to do those things. And then you can sort of start the habit there. But uh Okay, thank you uh, for all those wonderful words of advice. That was a that was a good one. Um, thank you for everyone who listened. Um, we we will see you next time. Soon enough, uh, we do think that you know we'll be taking a, a break when Eliza uh, eventually gives birth, and we're not sure exactly when that will be. But uh, 
just uh yeah there'll probably be a couple of weeks uh or maybe even a month or two where we where we take a break from the podcast and i guess i'll have more clarity on that when uh when the little one comes out but uh right now there'll be a few, i'm sure there'll be a, a couple more and uh, yeah, i hope you're enjoying these and and we'll see you next time see you next week